you picked a good weekend to be here because this is, um, this is one of those God-like moments for our church. So if you're new to Pathway, if you're not a Pathway person, that's okay. Welcome to the table. We are so glad that you're here. But we, when we started this year, I really felt like the Lord put this word in my heart, destiny. And um, I just knew that this was a year we would move forward, take another step toward what God has called us to do. And, uh, and so to me, that is what this is about. Like this is, is the time. And if, if you've been here, if you've not been here, I'll catch you up. We started eight years ago, uh, Julie and I, really nine years ago, God spoke to Julie and I about the church. Eight years ago, we launched out 2013. Uh, I'm sorry, t- September the 13th of 2009 was our first service in the Ramada. Uh, if you were in the Ramada, yeah, there's some Ramada people in the house. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> you, you believe believed in us back then. And so, um, but we were in the Ramada and it was not the best environment, but it was all we could afford. So we were there. And, um, and so, and then, uh, in 2012, we renovated, moved into this facility. And then, uh, in 2016, we purchased 49 acres of land on North 259, uh, right at the, kind of the Northern gate of the city. And, uh, and so now I think it is time that elders and I, we just feel like this is this moment that God's called us to, to step forward and step into what God has for us next. And so you just need to understand a couple of things about, uh, pathway. Number one, Julie and I didn't have a goal to start a church. We had a goal to change the world. We feel like the church is what God has called to change the world. So we never had a goal of like, hey, let's try to get some friends together and have a church because we always want to be a pastor of a church. What we wanted to do was change the world. And when we read the Bible, we're like, oh, so Jesus started a movement to change the world, not a monument. He didn't establish a monument. Right? Monuments are kind of old, dusty. They have sacred things, sacred writings, sacred readings, sacred rituals. Those are monuments. You're like, that sounds like the church I went to. That's kind of my point. And so we saw that, that God was to start a monument, but Jesus came to start a movement. He called it the church, but the church was not a building as much as it was a gathering of people that moved forward into the purpose that God had called them, which was to actually change the world. And so we, we didn't start with a goal of like, can we have a church? We started with a goal of how do we change the world? And, and that's how this church was born. And then this is what you need to understand. The foundational stone of our church is we believe the power to change your family, to change your community, to change your world is actually in you. All we have to do is convince you of it. Right? I think Paul said it this way, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power at work in us. And so we believe the power to change your family and the power to change this community and the power to change the world. We never believed the lie that we couldn't change the world from Longview, Texas. They're like, we can change the world from Longview, Texas, right? Right? I mean, that's kind of what they said about Jesus. What good can come from Nazareth, Right? That will be said like, holy cow, this is in Longview. And so we believe the power to change you, your family, your community, your world is actually in you. We just have to convince you that it's in there. And that's why we said in the very beginning, before we had a church, before we had a mission statement, we had this idea, Pathway Pathway Church, connecting people to purpose. That's what we said. It's how we change the world. We connect people to purpose. And so for us, this is kind of one of those God moments where we get to say yes to God and go farther into what God has called us to do. And I'm excited about it. So to, to kind of sum this up, instead of me trying to explain it all, we, we, we produced a video. So here's the video to introduce you to what we're about to do. How about that? Nine years ago, A mandate from God to arise led to the vision and creation of a church where all are valued, purpose is pursued, grace is experienced, and God's kingdom is always first. We call it Pathway. Since our beginning, over 1,700 people have made decisions to follow Christ from all walks of life. As a result of this growth, Pathway is approaching the end of what our current facility can handle making it difficult for new people to find their place in God's story, to connect and grow through relationships 
and to further our mission of connecting people to God and His purpose and calling for their lives. This relationship and discipleship come from understanding the calling of God, which we identify as our four Bs. Believing in God and coming to know Him personally, beyond just a religious association. Belonging to God and His family, and growing in faith through these connections and relationships. Becoming the disciple Jesus created and redeemed us to be. Living a life of faith, one step at a time. Building God's kingdom. God's ultimate plan for our lives is to make a difference by building His kingdom. Now is the defining moment where we need to step up to the biggest and most revolutionary thing we've ever done. It's called Arise, Many Lives, One Movement. Arise is not about a building, but building on a movement to expand God's kingdom by those who believe that Jesus is the hope of the world and that we are called to impact our community and the world by becoming disciples and making disciples. We must focus on those not yet reached and become waymakers to bring them in so others can step into what we know, believe, trust, and to hear the gospel, the word of God, and experience his love and grace. We must arise for ourselves and take the next steps we need to grow in our faith and be used by God. We must arise for our families and those we love most. We must arise for our community. Less than 10% of people in a 30-mile radius of Longview have any meaningful church association. We must arise for our world. That's every nation, people, language, and ethnic group. We must arise for the God who is worthy of our lives. This is our Jerusalem our Judea and Samaria, and our world. The only way to accomplish this is for all of us to arise. We will need 100% participation with equal sacrifice, not equal gifts, and living our lives in devotion to Jesus and surrendering completely to God's calling. The vision God has for us is massive. It will take many people to create and lead this one movement, rising above the norm, above the American dream, living for eternity, and reaching the thousands of people God has called us to. Could there be a more worthy investment of time or resources? Join us at Pathway in this incredible journey to pursue and invest in a people and a kingdom that will last forever. Our defining moment is now. It's time to arise. All right. Are you guys ready? Ready to change the world? Change our families, our city? I'm, I'm excited. Let me, let me go ahead and, and call your attention to um, what was in your seat when you came in. And so there's some things in your seat. There's a, there's a um, study guide and a pen. Um, it's a Pathway pen, so it's holy and anointed, and, uh, and these will write checks to Pathway really well. And, um, and so there's also, um, there's also a, a, a bracelet. Uh, I've got mine on, but um, it just says, I will arise. And so I, I want to, to clarify some things, and I know when you step into something like, you're smart people, and there are probably some people that didn't join us today because they're like, oh, this is where the preacher tries to convince everybody to give all their money so he can build a building. And what I want you to do is, why don't we set that aside? We're going to approach this a little differently. Um, I, I'm not good at raising money because I don't, it's not my gift. My gift is preaching, not fundraising. And so uh, we're just going to kind of put that over there. Now, you're smart enough to know that if we're going to build a building, it is going to take some resources, right? So obviously, and we want God to move through us, right? So, but, but for a minute, I want to reshape what we're doing here. What we're doing over the next five weeks is we are launching through discipleship, I feel like, into a new season for all of us. And so our focus, I always feel like if we get discipleship right, stewardship will take care of itself. And so our focus, so where you might think, well, their focus is to try to get enough money to do whatever they're trying to do. I would like to say, okay, that's not actually our primary goal. See, our primary goal is actually discipleship. 
And so where we want 100% participation is we want 100% of our pathway people to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to rise. I'm going to step into God's purpose, step into God's calling. I'm going to identify God's purpose and calling. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to take another step forward to what God's called me to do. So, so let's make 100% participation in discipleship our primary goal. Let's worry about that first. Let's not worry about the other. Does that make sense? You know, when we, we talk to a, really, a, a lot of really smart people, and we've had uh, a, um, some, some different consultants. I, you know, they're more like coaches. Um, but, you know, starting a long time back, we had them come look through our organization, look through all of our finances. Are we healthy enough to, to try something like this? What do you feel like are good limitations? What do you feel like we can do? And so we, we've been working with really, really smart people. But one of the questions I asked said, Pastor, how do you feel about capital campaigns? I said, I hate them. And they're like, okay, then we wouldn't want to do one. Like, that's not what, you can't lead something you hate. And I said, good. So we're agreed. They're like, what do you love? I said, I love discipleship. Love it. And they're like, how do you think giving and discipleship relate? I'm like, giving is a part of our discipleship. Because God's, you know what God's first value is? Giving. Yeah. Do you, do you know why we give? So we can look like him. Right? Because God so loved the world that he so love is always his motive. Giving is his first value, right? And so to me, when we give, we start looking like God. So giving's a part of our discipleship, but it's not the whole part, right? It, it, I mean, serving is a part of our discipleship. What did Jesus do? He didn't come to be served, but to? Why do I want you to serve? You look like Jesus when you serve. Why do I want you to give? You look like, you look like God when you give. That's why God loves a cheerful giver, because he loves seeing people who are happy to emulate his value system, right? So before we get all worried, like, oh my God, the preacher's gonna try to get all the money. No, listen, listen, it's not even the goal. The goal is discipleship, right? The goal is about what God's called you to do and how you can move forward with God. And so that's why I created this. I, I, I mean, this is, first of all, let me say, this is an investment in you. So before you throw it in the trunk of your car, I want, to, want you to hear my speech on it, right? Um, we actually looked at this differently and said, I, we're not going to do a capital campaign. We're going to put the, the thrust on this on discipleship and make discipleship the primary goal of it, having people connect to purpose, take their next steps. And so, so I, um, I put this together for you. It's a study guide. I wrote it for you. It, it's expensive to produce these in the quantity that we produced them. And so I'm going to ask you to keep up with it. Like this is an investment in your discipleship. This is a five-week study guide for what we're about to do. It's kind of like a rise is this next five weeks is kind of the launching pad of I think what God wants to do through us. And so um, here's how this works. If you'll turn, it has some information about, um, about the initiative, but I want to jump to, and I'll come back. Everything I'm going to say is in here, but I'm going to come back to, um, to that. So I want to go to uh, page 15 is where the study guide starts. And so here's how it works. If you turn the page, you're going to see kind of a before you begin, it kind of explains how it works, right? And then you're going to turn one more page and you're going to see week one defining moments. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend at Pathway, defining moments. And so if you turn that page, you're going to see a basic synopsis of what we're going to talk about and you're going to have space for sermon notes. I want you to bring this every weekend. I want you to be here every weekend for, for now, you just have four more weeks, right? You can do it. Jesus is with you. You can do all things who, you know, through Christ. We have service on Saturday and on Sunday. Try to find one that works. We have three opportunities. And I want you to try to come. And I want you to write down what God speaks to you when you're focused on your discipleship, right? And then after that, you're going to go to your life group. And it has a little page here, life group, right? And now, if you're sitting here and you don't have a life group, uh, we love you so much. We put something in the beginning of it um, where we have, uh, these are not all the life groups we have. These are the life groups that still have room in them, right? So we have over 50 life groups in the church, but these are the life groups that still have some room. And all of our life groups are meeting every week for five weeks because we're going to walk through this journey of discipleship and growth together, right? We're going to see what God can do through us. But before God does something through us, he does something in us. And so um, the, where you start, if you don't have a life group, I would read the names and I would say, do I know Butch Pelea? And he had a men's group. And okay, well, if, if I know Butch and I'm a man 
then I can go Sunday at five, right? And he has some room. And then I can look down and say, Tammy, Red Tammy Redinger, she has a women's group. And it's Fridays at 1 p.m. And, and so there's two ways to do this. You might start with who do I know and then start with what time slot works for me, right? And pick a group. And so if I know, uh, like if I know Michelle Jackson, right? And I'm, and I'm near Hossville and I'm a woman and I can go Mondays at six, then there's a place for me to go. Now, how do I contact Michelle? Well, I would use my Pathway app. So if you go on the Pathway app, you can find Michelle's group and then you can email her and say, hi, I'm sister whoever, you know, Sally Mae, whatever, and I'd love to come to your group. And she said, here's the information and address and all that kind of stuff, right? Or I can go online and I can find it online. And so here's what I'm asking. I'm asking 100% participation that everybody just, just try it. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's what I'm going to say. Now, I have given my life to the study of how to move people forward with God. That's all I've done since I was 19 years old, right? It's all I've actually studied. So I'm going to ask you to trust me. Just commit to five weeks of trying to find out more about what God has put in you and more about what God wants to do through you and more about what God's calling you to. And let's see what happens. Like if we all as a church took one step forward, we all said, I'm going to arise. I'm going to take one step forward towards what God's called me to do. It might be amazing what the results are. So just trust me, let's try it. So find a life group. And when you get to your life group, here's the great thing. You're going to see me again because I know how much you love me. <laughs> and I know how easy I am to look at. And, and, <laughs> and, so, and so when you go to your life group, what I went, I went and filmed um, five weeks of life group curriculum. So I, break, I, I take what I'm speaking on the weekend and then I pull some important points out and then you're going to have discussion and growth and development around those points that helps you move forward, right? And so I need you to find a life group. I need you to be here on the weekend. Don't lose this book or we'll charge you for the next one. Eight million dollars. <laughs> but don't lose it. Write your name on it. Keep up with it. But be here on the weekends and then commit to walking through this process with us. Make sure you're in a life group. If you're not in a life group, please find one. If you need help finding one, will you let us know and we will get you connected to a life group. Not a problem at all. You can contact us in the office um, and we will, we will get you connected to a life group. We will find you one. Like we, we will do it because I want everybody to take this journey with us. Okay, does that sound good? All right, so let me skip back to and say, okay, now what is Arise? Okay, what is Arise? Well, Arise is a 24-month initiative, 24 months, two years, 24-month initiative that is aimed at empowering people, expanding our reach, and establishing our first campus. And it is our first. We will do more um, because that's our vision. So our vision is essentially world domination. And uh, <laughs> not exactly. But we do think that God has given us dominion to go into all the world and reclaim it for him. And, and so we are committed to that. And so, again, remember, this was never about having a church. This was about a movement of people toward the purposes of God that changes the world around us. That's what the purpose of the church was. I think trying to have a church is a pretty small vision. I think trying to take over the world is a worthy vision. That's just me, right? And so, so to me... What is Arise? Well, it's kind of a 24-month initiative aimed at that, but we want to empower people, expand our reach, right? And, and beyond that, we do want to establish our first campus. Look, the reality is we can't stay here. If you, were, if you came to any Easter service, they were all full. But if you came on Sunday, I'm sorry. Because in the 11 o'clock, like I was standing at the back because our seats were already taken. And so I was just standing at the back. And, and I remember the look on Pastor James' face when he came by and he's like, we're out of chairs. Like, we pulled every chair we own out and we're out of chairs. And I'm like, well, just stack them on the wall, sit them on the floor, you know, whatever we need to do. Um, and so, uh, by the way, Easter report, a lot of people wondered what happened at Easter. Uh, it was awesome. You guys, I want to brag on you. Um, but we had just under 1,400 people in five services. And that's amazing. It is. And you can clap. I mean, you, you, that's awesome. Um, but even more than that, we had 41 people make decisions to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, <laughs> that, was, that was awesome, too. That was the biggest win for me. And so I want to say thank you for coming, for serving, for inviting people. 
Um, God used you, and it's awesome. And next year, I think we're doing 87 Easter services, and so, um, <laughs> and so the staff we came in because they were all full, and we're like, okay, well, what do we do next year? I'm like, I don't know. I guess we're doing six or seven next year. I don't know. Well, when we're, we're going to start? We'll just start on Thursday, <laughs> Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I don't know, but um, but anyway. So thank you. It was awesome. But we we can't stay here. We, we here's the thing about our facility. It's obviously number one. We don't own it. We rent it. And so what we pay in rent every year, essentially, to give you a good picture, we buy a house every year that we're not going to own. So every year, that's about what our rent is between this facility and our offices. We buy a house every year that we don't own. We're not leaving that to our kids or to our grandkids. Um, it's just it's just gone. And there's a, there's a time when that's what you need to do because you can't afford maybe to build the house. Um, but so we've done that and that's fine. Um, we're still if we started construction today, this is some people. If we started today, we started today. We're about 20 months out from moving in if we were pushing dirt today. So we still have a little ways to go <laughs> and we're out of room. And I can tell you after last weekend, I always said I can preach as many services I need to. I can tell you there's a limit on what my body can do because I'm still not recovered from last weekend. I was telling Pastor Mark last night, we had a meeting after the service and he's like, go home and get some rest. I'm like, bro, I'm not, man, I can't, I'm still dragging. Uh, it just takes a lot out of you. And so, of course, now we have video capabilities and we do video services where I can preach some live and some would just be video. And we can do that if we need to get to five or six services a weekend. That's fine. But um, we're, it was just kind of at the end, really, of what our facility can do. And, and what you may not know is we run out of room in the kids' room before we run out of room in this room. And so, like, when I look at a, an attendance like this, I'm thinking probably in the nursery they're in, they're in pain right now. Um, that's what I know. In fact, last weekend, um, really, especially in the 11, but also in the nine, Pastor Jessica, she said, we hit the limit where I'm like, it is no longer safe to put children in these rooms. It's just too many kids in a small space. And she said, I thought I was going to have to start telling families, no, I'm sorry, we can't put your, we just don't have room for them. And so they did the best that they, they could. So we're limited. Also, I don't know if you've ever been in our lobby. It's big enough for four people. And, and it's like the size of most of your living rooms. And so um, and so, you know, when we have a value of connecting and building relationships, we don't have a place to connect here. And even, even in our switch experience, which is on Wednesdays, that's our student ministry. Yeah. And, um, it's phenomenal what God does in there, but they break out into life groups at the end of their, um, you know, worship experience, if you will, for lack of better terms, at the, at the end of their meeting, they break out into life groups, but there's not enough rooms in here to facilitate the life groups for our teenagers. So the reality is we're just, we're, we're, we've taken this building and made it do more than it was ever in, intended for. And God has, it's been good, but we have to do something else. And so, so yes, this is aimed at establishing um, a new campus. So let me talk to you about how we're going to do it. And so here's what we did. In a lot of churches, um, you know, you, you give your tithe or your offering, and then they'll come in and do a capital campaign and want you to make a pledge you know, a faith promise or something like that to the actual building. We're, we're doing it differently. And, and for a lot of reasons that I can't explain, but I'll kind of talk about it a little bit every week as we walk through. Um, we're doing it a little differently. What we did is said, okay, what would it take to do what God's called us to do for the next 24 months? Just for the next 24 months, what would it take for, for, to do what God's called us to do? And what we're going to do is say, okay, then we have one number, we have one mission, we have one fund, we have one number. And so here's the number, and every dollar given just goes to fund it. And so that includes our budget, includes the building, it includes outreach, it includes everything that we do. And so, yes, um, I, I love for every person to make a commitment. And I'm going to ask for 100% participation. And, and even if you want to write down, I will never give a dollar to this church because I think you're a scam artist, totally fine with me. At least you participated. Like, I know I'm not a scam artist, but if that's where you're at because, you know, you had a bad experience and you want to judge everybody by a bad experience that you had. That's totally up to you, right? But I just want everybody to participate. If you're like, I'm only going to give $1 a year, fine, right? $1 a year. But we're not going to do all these different pledges and all this different stuff. We're just going to say, hey, not a faith promise, just here's my commitment to the Lord, how I'm going to participate. Now, we're not going to do that today, so don't worry about that, okay? Now, I'll come back to that. But here's, here's where we got the number. So you need to know where we came up with the number because we have one number, one mission, one fund for 24 months. Everything given just goes to that. And so it's in your book. It, it, they'll put it on the screen. But if you want to see the initiative, the first thing was 
um, just to operate and expand our current ministries. So um, most people probably don't know, but it takes about $1.3 to $1.4 million a year to operate our church, right? Um, that may shock some people, but that's just what it costs. Um, and so for us, we said, okay, we went ahead and did a 24-month budget with a little bit of room to expand some things because we need to grow life groups. We probably need to hire another person or two. Um, and, so, and so basically to, to run the church as it is and to um, fund all the ministries as they are, um, it, it's $2.8 million for the next 24 months. Now, listen, don't sweat that. You're already doing that, right? So this is not additional. This is just what already happens if everybody just keeps doing what they're doing, right? No problem, right? So don't sweat that. But that's the first part. Then the second part is for our community. And we really see the building as a way to reach more people in our community. And so this would be to construct new facilities so that people can be transformed, new children's facilities that give us more room to disciple children, reach children, uh, new youth facilities because they'll have a lot more room throughout the whole building to, to do switch. Um, and then we want room in the building where people can connect and where there's a cafe for life groups to meet if they want to. Um, and then also build a walking trails and just some different things to bring people onto the property and so our families can enjoy it. And so for the building, if people are like, how much does the building cost? $8 million. That's what it costs. By the way, that, that covers the, the tulips all the way to the toilet paper, right? Okay. So it's not like 8 million plus equipment plus furnishing. No, no, no. It's 8 million for everything. Now we will try to beat that number, but that's the number we have right now to work with, right? And so we've already been through a design, that a preliminary design, so we could get some bids. So we actually have some, some decent numbers to work with. And so we don't think it will go over that, but we will try to make it go under that. Um, but it probably won't be way under that. So that's furnishings and everything. And that's for the building. And then for outreach, what we want to do through our uh, partners, ministry partners in the community. So feeding the hungry, housing homeless, helping those with life controlling issues, planning churches, uh, helping resource adoptive families, and then expanding what we do around the world uh, is 380000 So when you add those three numbers up, you get the one fund for the one mission, which is $11.24 We already have half a million on hand because you give so faithfully. Thank you for that, by the way. And so now we're down to uh, $10 million, um, you know, almost a little under $11 million, all right? So, and by the way, I know, I understand, like, oh my God, pastor, that's a lot of money. It, it is, it is today for me. I couldn't write an $11 million check, right? So, so it seems like, but if you don't have $5, $5 is a lot of money. I don't want us to worry about the money. I want us to put the money over here and worry about our discipleship and growing and being who God's called us to be and doing what God's called us to do, right? If we get that right, this, this, is, gonna, this is gonna happen. It's, it's gonna happen in God's timing the way God wants it to happen, right? So, so let's, not, let's not get all caught up in the money. I can tell you that it does sound a lot of money, like a lot of money, but God did something that's so cool um, Julie and I were in this, uh, as John Townsend program, leadership program. And, and so we were in New York, um, in, in a meeting and we were in these people's house. Now, let me tell you about their house. It was a 6,000 square foot apartment on billionaire row overlooking central park. Um, so from, a, you know, a guy from Texas, from East Texas, it was a wild experience and they were awesome people. And talking to this guy, he had invented stuff. They were billionaires, um, with a B and such wonderful people. <laughs> and, and, and I, I kind of know what that apartment costs. And, you know, it's about 10 times what our building's going to cost. And, and so I, I know all the numbers. And, and here's why I'm telling you this, right? Because in that moment, all of a sudden, God got bigger to me. Because I thought, this guy has a jet. That's cool. God has a universe. Yeah. Right? Like, this guy has a really cool pad overlooking Central Park. God made it, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and so for me, it was that moment to say, how big is God? And it kind of stretches. You think, this is just a guy, and he's been successful. He's a wonderful Christian man, great guy. But how big is God? And so I don't want us to worry, 10 million, oh my God, a lot of money. Oh, just put it over there. Don't worry about that. Let's worry about our part, our discipleship, being a part of what God wants to do and just see what God can do through us, right? Don't sweat on that stuff yet. Don't worry about that. It's all gonna happen the way God wants it to happen, right? 
So, and I know, let me answer a couple questions. Number one, pastor, are you just going to start talking about money all the time? Okay, you're in a church, let me just remind you of something, that's never taken an offering. No, no, nobody passed a plate by your role. No one did a pre-offering sermon, because I've been in those churches, where you do a pre-offering sermon and then have a pre-offering song. And then everybody passes a little felt bag or a little plate or a KFC bucket, depending on your denomination. <laughs> it goes right by, right? So you're in a church that has never taken an offering, and we're not going to start now. Right? Not going to start taking an offering now. We have boxes in the back. You can give online. People give. Right? Because they understand that's a part of their growth and discipleship. So, so is this going to become all about money? No. Money is a part of our discipleship, but this is not going to become all about money. Pastor, is our church going to change? No, nope, not going to change. Not going to change at all. We're just going to become more of who God created us to be. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to change anything. I'm not going to start wearing tuxedos or suits and ties. I mean, I love suits and ties, but they're not functional for big boys who preach, right? Because I was raised in one of those churches, and after a while, you got to take the coat off and pull the tie. And I'm like, you know, if you got to take the coat off, pull the tie, why don't you even put it on? So <laughs> anyways, so, so not going to change. Not all about money. It's about discipleship. It's about discipleship and seeing what God wants to do through all of us, and it's about us stake, taking our next step so that God can change more lives. Um, I, I, want to, um, I want to tell you this, um, just so you know where I'm at, because today, we're not, we're not, no one's signing up to give anything today, so you're safe. In fact, you're safe for several more weeks. It's actually on week five that we're going to see what God wants to do through us in that way, Right? But the rest of these weeks are about seeing what God wants to do through us in other ways. Does that make sense? And so, um, but I will tell you where I'm at because where I'm at, I think you, you need to know where Julian is. We're, gonna, we're always going to lead, right? Um, when, when we bought the land, Julie and I gave our life savings to the church to buy the land, right? And we bought it cash with money left over, praise God. And so when we came back to this initiative, we, we said the same thing. We're going to commit all of our life savings to whatever God wants to do. We're going to give that. We're also going to look at our budget and we're going to change some things to see if we can give more uh, even than that over the next 24 months. Now, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? Because I believe in what God wants to do through us. Because I believe that there's still people to reach. I believe that there are still people that need hope, that need purpose, right? The happiest people in the world are not the world, the, not the people who have everything right. They're the people who actually rightly know what God has created and called them to be. They have purpose. Yeah. You, 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 the best way to help people is give them purpose. And so to me, that's why I'm willing to commit that. Our family's saved, right? We could say us five and no more. It doesn't really rhyme when you say it that way because we're a family of five. If you've heard the us four and no more, it, it's better than, but we have five. <laughs> So us five, we're all alive. And so um, anyways, and so, but we're doing this because we want to see what God can do through us and we want to see what God can do in the lives of people. Yeah. And so I, I want you to come with us on this, however that looks for you. God's going to be, I'm, I'm never going to ask you to do anything more than what God asks you to do, right? But um, I, I want you to come with us because uh, I think God's going to do some great things. Would you like to see the building, by the way? Would you like kind of a short tour of the building? It has some snapshots of it, but this is the building. If you drove up, this is what it would look like. Um, so it's, you know, a little more contemporary in design and uh, because that's just kind of how we are. And, um, and so this is the outside seating for the coffee, coffee area or the cafe. Um, we don't have a trendy name like Hebrews or something <laughs> like that. It's, it's weird. Anyways, huh. um, it's not going to be called that, by the way. Um, uh, and so, and that, that would be uh, the outside of the offices. Um, and so this is the front parking lot, you know, uh, there's about 420 parking spaces anyways. Um, and then this is another flyby. There's the cafe you can actually see in there. There are no people yet cause you're not there yet. And now we're going to fly into the, the actual common or lobby area. This one's bigger than four people. Like you can put more than four people. In fact, you can put about five or 600 people in this lobby. It's a spine design, meaning this spine runs all the way through the building because the second phase connects out of the back, right? So the second phase is bigger, and we'll worry about that later. So this building is actually designed to be our church, but it's also designed to be the student facility and the school of ministry. 
And so, and so when, when we move to phase two, this will all be taken over by Switch and the School of Ministry. And so, <laughs> praise God. And so now we'll go, um, we'll go into the cafe. Does anybody like coffee? And, uh, and so in the cafe, we will make our own specialty drinks, um, not adult beverages, just specialty drinks. Like somebody's here for us, like, I love this church, man. Pray give me a margarita. But um, no, that's not what happens in the cafe. Anyways, um, <laughs> but we'll have different coffees and things like that, snacks, whatever. But this is a great place where if you run into someone at service, you can grab a cup of coffee, right? Um, and not miss service, but hear what I'm saying. Not miss service, but anyways, great place to connect. And the, the cafe is separate. This is a reception area, but the cafe is separate in that the cafe will be able to be open when the church isn't. So it'll be like Thursday evenings, Friday evenings, that kind of stuff. Um, this is just the offices. It's not overly impressive. It's just offices. Um, but, uh, but they're nice, and they're new, and they're happy. Um, and we crammed as many in there as we could. Um, so we actually have, uh, we'll have enough space for, I think, 26 employees um, in, in our office um, and so, but if you think about it, if, if we get to three or four services, we run in three to 4,000 people. And so you probably need 26 people to work there. And so anyway, so that's reception area. If you've been in our current office, we have a wall like that. Um, and, uh, so they put it in the video too. And so this is, there's a hospitality room to the left. This is full service. I call it full service check-in for our guests. And then this is self-serve check-in for the kids. <laughs> Uh, by the way, we have not finished designing, so this is conceptual. The space is right, but the colors may change, and the weird people on the wall probably won't be there, um, and Jesus won't be hiding behind the crib. And so, um, <laughs> but anyways, they were just giving you an idea of what it would look like. So that's like a six month to twelve month. That's their room. And there's rooms obviously all the way down the hall, and then this is the three year old classroom. And so, yeah, they have a little slide in there, a Lego table. Jesus is alive in there. And, um, and so this is the three-year-olds. And then uh, we'll come out of that. We'll go past the four- and five-year-olds. And so, um, yeah, down here on the left, that's the four-year-olds, and that's the five-year-olds. And now straight ahead is real 56. But now we're going to turn right and go to Pathway Kids. Um, and so... Here is the new Pathway Kids room. Um, yeah, it's, and we're still, I don't know that we're going to do gears. They're just showing us different things we could do. Um, but it will, it's pretty big. It'll hold about 150 adults in seats. Um, and so the kids will have lots of room to worship Jesus in very energetic ways. And, uh, and so, and then we'll come out of that and we'll go to the auditorium. Would you like to see what the auditorium looks like? You kind of saw it. It's, it's where you'd be right now if we were there. And wouldn't that be a blessing? And, um, and so this is auditorium. And so it's, uh, we have floor seating and stadium seating. And so you can come in and then do a flyby around the room. It's pretty cool. I think computers are the bomb until mine doesn't work. Then I don't like it at all. But um, this is auditorium. And so it's 725 seats as it is. And uh, it's floor seating and stadium seating. Um, and so, yeah, so pretty cool. And... Um, I'd love to be there today. And uh, yeah, so anyways, and some more pictures and whatnot. But wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, when I, when I look at those seats like that, I just start thinking about the people that aren't here yet. Yeah. You know, and I start thinking about reaching those people, and that's what really gets me excited. Um, and so you know, if it's just about us, you know, if you were looking for a church that's all about us, um, it's not this church. It's just not the way we were ever founded to be. We didn't start it. Julie and I didn't start a church because we wanted a church to go to. We started a church because we want to reach people and we want to change the world. And so we can never let Pathway be about us. It can be about us, but it's got to be about us who are focused on those who aren't here. So I always say found people, find people. It's a value that we have. And so when I look at that building, it is going to be cool for us because, you know, you could stop and get a coffee and then go to service and it'd be awesome. And we're probably not going to put carpet in the auditorium. So when you sneak your coffee in and spill it, we don't have to clean the coffee, the carpet. You know, don't think we don't know that stuff. Somebody's like, busted. <laughs> it's okay. Like, I totally get it. It's fine. But anyways, um, so, all right. So we'll be sharing more as the weeks go. I'd love for you to commit to be here every week, be in a life group uh, for these next five weeks. And if you miss 
Uh, now you can watch the video online in our website. And so not just pod, the podcast is still there, but now you can watch the video. But don't miss because you can watch the video because it's not the same. It's not the same. And so make sure you're here with us, taking the journey with us. So I, I want to go ahead and, and preach. Do you have time for me to do that? Yeah. I can do it pretty quickly, I think, um, because I'm getting better at it in my old age. Um, but I want to go ahead and, and we're talking about defining moments this weekend. And, um, and here's what defining moments are. Now, there's, there are different types of defining moments. There are defining moments that, where we have encounters with God, and there are defining moments where life happens. Um, but here's what's consistent. We're going to focus more on the defining moments we have with God. But here's what's consistent about all defining moments. Defining moments, um, they, they do some things. Like they reveal my nature, they develop my character, and they determine my direction. No matter what the moment was, if you had a defining moment, which could have been some, a spouse left or some tragedy occurred, or something good happened, got a promotion, whatever the case may be, started a business and it was successful. Whatever it is, those defining moments always do some things. They reveal some things about us. They, they show us some things. They develop some things in us, and they determine where we go from here. And it's the same thing when we have defining moments with God. When God speaks to us, reveals something to us, it does the same thing. It reveals some things. It defines some things. It determines the direction. And so in the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about Abraham. And he, when we first see him in, in the Bible, it's actually Genesis chapter 11 where we first see him. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12 with this defining moment that at the time his name is Abram and not Abraham. Abram becomes Abraham. So they're the same person. But this defining moment that Abram has with God. And so I just want to look at that really quick. We're going to pull some things out of that because I believe God in this moment, I think it's a defining moment for our church, but I've been praying there would be defining moments for you as individuals that God would speak to you and that God would lead you and that you would step into what God has created you for. So in Genesis chapter 12, um, verse one, it says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make you famous. And, I'll, and you will be a blessing to others. And verse three says, I will bless those who um, bless you and those who curse you, I'll, I will treat with contempt. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Man, what a great verse. Verse four, it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seven, or Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all his wealth and his livestock and all the people uh, from his house that were with him at Haran. And he headed for the land of Canaan, for the land of Canaan. I, I want to give you four things about defining moments. You can write these down in your notes section, uh, in your study guide that you're going to guard with your life and take to life group and bring back next weekend. You can write these down. But number one, you can write this down. I think defining moments reveal. Defining moments reveal. What do they reveal? Well, number one, they reveal our calling. They reveal what God's purpose for us is. When God comes to us and speaks, we start getting clues about what God has destined us for. And so we see this in Genesis 12, verse 2. Um, God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. Now, I don't know what Abraham thought his purpose was before God spoke to him, right? I don't know if he was, I, here's what I would say. I doubt he was sitting around thinking, I'm going to be a great nation, like, you know what I'm saying? If you ran into Abram at Target, right, and said, Abram, what's up? I don't think he was saying, you know, I'm really working on becoming a great nation right now. I think probably he was wanting to be a good husband, a good businessman, a good citizen, you know. But, but I think when God speaks to him, the first thing God does is God says, Abram, you're created for more than you knew. And that's what I love about defining moments, because in that moment, I find out why God created me, what God has called me to. So they reveal my calling. Here's the second thing. They reveal God's mission, because God, for him to call me, he has to call me to something. So my purpose is intertwined with his purpose. He doesn't call us out of Haran without calling us to a promise, to a purpose. And so 
when I see what God's called me to do, I also get a better view of what God has called or what God's purpose is in the earth. In other words, God calls me to it. The same would work in reverse. If I really know what God's trying to do, what's God's will on earth as it is in heaven. God, God wants to see his kingdom reign on the earth. And so if I know that, if I know that, and I know God calls me, then I know God, whatever God's called me to do plays into that purpose. He doesn't call me out of without calling me to something. And so defining moments reveal um, what I'm called to do, but it also shows me God's desired outcome, God's mission. Verse three of Genesis 12 says this, says all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So, so, so here's what God's saying. I wanna bless all the earth. I just need somebody to bless the earth through. And, and that's kind of what I think about our church all the time. Like God wants to bless this city. And God wants to bless this world. And God wants to reach more family. He just needs people to say, hey, you can do that through me. Like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll commit to that. And so these defining moments, um, they reveal our calling. They reveal God's purpose. And I think also it's always a good time to see God's grace. Because I, nothing tells us that Abraham earned this commission, if you will. Because God basically shows up and says, hey, I want to bless you. I'm going to make you great. And, and there was nothing, I mean, the only reason, let me help you with this, the only reason God ever asked you to do anything is because he wants to bless you. Like, you need to understand the heart. The Bible says God is a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who seek him, right? God desires to bless. And so when God asks us, like Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave Haran, and I want you to go, it's a sacrifice to leave Haran. Like, Abraham's like, you know, I like my neighborhood, you know? I mean, I've got a membership of the country club, and our house is right on the water and, you know, like our tent, our tent is right on the water. Anyways, but, but God only asks us, if he asks us to give, he asks us to go, he asks us to serve, he only asks us to do things to give us something more. He only asks us to leave this so he can give us something more. God wants to bless us and that's by his grace. Abraham didn't earn this, this blessing from God. God is just like, hey, I'm gracious and I'm loving and I'm kind and I'm good and I just want to bless you and I want to bless people through you and you don't earn that. That's something that comes by my grace and now I'm, I'm showing you what your calling is. I'm showing you what my purpose is. I'm asking you to step into it. So defining moments reveal. Here's the second thing. Defining moments define. Number one, they define who we are. Who we are. Um, I don't know if you know this about our world, but our world works to give us identity. In fact, if you study Daniel, you're going to find Daniel, first of all, his Hebrew name was Daniel, but he was, it was during the Babylonian captivity, and they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. Kind of a, that's like, I'd rather have Daniel. <laughs> Sounds like you sneezed. Anyways, um, bless you. And so anyways, and then, and then you know these other three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but did you know that's their Babylonian names? See, the world always tries to rename us. It renames us the failure, the depressed person, the diseased person, the broken person, the crazy person, right? The world is always trying to rename us. And we're born in a world that's always trying to give us the wrong identity. And so what's great in these defining moments, it's, it's great because we find out, watch this, who God thinks we are. Because right now, you, if I said, who are you, you, you probably would give me, you know, if you're a man, you'd say, well, you know, I'm a plumber. I'm a lawyer. Because men always try to identify with what we do. Right? But, but the question isn't what you do. It's who are you? Better than that, who does God think you are? Because you're never going to do what God's called you to do until you agree with who God says you are. And so these defining moments, like I said, I don't think Abraham, if you have said, Abraham, who are you? I don't think he said, well, you know, basically I'm the father of faith. Going to start a movement. Going to start a nation. Right? I, I don't think that, that Abraham would have said that at all. He, he might would have said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. You know, I'm a businessman, whatever. But it was in this moment that Abraham figured out who God thought he was. Can I tell you something about God? Number one, God believes in you before you believe in you. God believes in you because God formed you. He created you. He breathed life into you. 
And God believes in you before. In fact, if you're in here and you don't believe you're anything special, God thinks you are. In fact, he would say you're the apple of his eye. You're a treasure to him. And so you may have walked in this room thinking, I don't know who I am, and I don't think there's anything unique or special about me. And God's sitting there like, oh, if you only knew how I created you, how I formed you in the womb of your mother and gave you purpose, and I have a plan and a hope for you, right? God has a purpose and a plan and a desired outcome for your life. He just needs you to believe what he believes about you. God believes in you before you believe in you. And here's the second thing. God believes in you more than you believe in you. Because God believes you can do the impossible. God believes you can do what he's called you to do. God believes in you more than you believe in you. God believes in you so much, he's left this world in your hands. God believes in you so much, his only way of reaching this world is through you. God believes in you before and God believes in you more. And we're never going to be able to do, we're never going to be able to do what God's called us to until we believe about us what God believes about us. Think about this. Abraham, God comes up to a man who he and his wife are barren. It is impossible for them to have children. And God promises them they're going to be a nation. I love this because God takes the areas of the greatest brokenness in our life and says, hey, if you'll surrender that to me, that's where I'll birth the greatest miracle because he believes in us before and he believes in us more. Think about King David. King David was an illegitimate son of Jesse. That's why when Jesse called his sons, when Samuel said, I'm going to anoint a king, David wasn't invited because he was an illegitimate son of Jesse. We know that because in Psalm 51, David says that he was conceived in iniquity and he was birthed or born in his mother's sin. And so we know he was, and so God actually calls an illegitimate shepherd boy and has him to be the king or the father of a nation. Most of the time, if we could just tap into what God believes about us, he'll take some of the greatest pain, some of the greatest brokenness in our life and do the greatest miracles out of it because he believes in us more and he believes in us before. It tells us defining moments define who we are. Number, the second thing under this is defining moments actually define or show us who God is. Um, to me, faith, if you will, your faith has to rest on something. So if I give you a picture, your faith sits on a stool. That stool has three legs. Let me show you what those three legs are. Because if you are waning in faith at all, it will come down to a weakness in one of those three legs. Let me show you what I mean. When God comes to Abraham, number one, he appeared to Abraham. Now, Genesis 12 doesn't tell us that, but Acts 7 does. Acts 7 actually tells us, Stephen is talking, he said, God appeared to our father Abraham. So God appeared to Abraham. Then he told Abraham um, in verse two, he says, I will make you a great nation. In other words, I will make you. In other words, I have the power to do what I promise. If God has promised you something, good news, he's not depending on your strength. For people like me, that's helpful, right? In fact, usually he's depending on your weakness because it's in your weakness that you see his strength. And so he said, I, so he appeared and he said, I will make. In other words, I have the power to do what I promise. And then the next thing is, I will bless. I will bless you. Now, let me tell you what the three legs of the stool are. Number one, God is near. He appeared. Number two, God is powerful. I will make. I have the power to do what I promise. Number three, God is good. I will bless. To me, those are the three legs of the stool that faith sits on. And if your faith is suffering today, if you will look, you have an attack in one of those three legs. Either it's like, I know God's good and powerful, but he's, he doesn't know my name. He's not near to me. Or it will be, I know God is near to me and powerful, but I don't know if he will. I don't know if he wants to bless me. I don't know that he's good. And so in this defining moment, God reveals to Abraham, hey, I'm near and I'm powerful and I'm benevolent. I'm good. And those are the three things we always have to trust in to maintain our faith. So defining moments reveal, right? Defining moments define. Here's the third thing. Defining moments compel. In other words, defining moments call us to action. Defining moments call us to action. We see this in, in, in uh, Genesis 12, verse 4. It says, and Abraham departed. Now, in, in our English version, it uses departed, right? Like, that's cool, departed. 
But if you look in the original language into Hebrew, and I'm not Hebrew, and I'm going to try to say a Hebrew word, and don't you laugh at me because you're not Hebrew either. But when you look in the original language of the Bible, it doesn't use the word depart. It uses a word which is like yalak, which actually means did the same as. So it would actually read this way. Abraham did the same as the Lord said. Now, God told him to depart. That's true. But what he did is he just did the same as God said. Listen, if you want a recipe for success in your life and finding your purpose and walking in your calling and being everything that God created you to do, very simply, listen to me very carefully, just do the same as God said. Right? Do the same as God said. Notice it didn't say he prayed about what God said. He talked about what God said. He posted on Facebook what God said. He wrote in his journal what God said. It said he did what God said. He did the same act. Can I tell you something? And I love believers because I, I, as a pastor, I hear a lot of things like, you know, pastor, I believe God's called me to this. What are you doing? Well, I've been praying. You know, how long have you been praying? Well, about 14 years. <laughs> oh, all right. Praise the Lord for that prayer. Um, can I help you with something? You, you are not sitting in this room today because, Julie and I, because God spoke to Julie and I to start a church. You're not sitting in this room because... Um, we prayed about starting a church. You're not sitting in this room because we posted on Facebook we were going to start a church. You're not sitting in this room because we wrote in our journals that God wanted us to start a church. You're not sitting in this room because we talked to people and said God wants us to start a church. You're sitting in this room because we got off our blessed assurance and started a church. <laughs> Amen. And there is a time to pray and there's a time to journal and there's a time to get off your blessed assurance and move forward with God, right? And so these defining moments are those moments that, that compel us. Listen to me very carefully. You cannot go where God wants you to go and stay where you're at. You cannot be who God wants you to be and stay as you are. Like if we're gonna move forward with God, we're gonna move. Like we can't, just, we can't just stay here and expect that we're going to get there. God, God calls us to action. In fact, James uh, 2 verse 17 says, in the same way, faith without accompanied action is dead. Like if you have faith that hasn't moved you to action, you just have belief. And that's okay. That's a good place to start. But faith always compels you into action. Abraham did the same as God said. He left Haran. If you're going to be who God wants you to be, you've got to, listen, I, I told a staff member one time uh, that we're in the hiring process and our hiring process has become pretty extraordinary. Uh, the last person we hired, Pastor Colin, he's like, man, you really got to work here if you go through all this. And we're like, yeah, that's kind of the goal. And, um, and so it's pretty extraordinary. Like it ends with a, like a two or three hour uh, psychological evaluation by a Christian counselor. That's how intense we are because we want to find the right people. Who, who fit, right? And, and so, so it's pretty intense. And, and, um, <clears throat> but I was talking to one of the staff members who's, who's not with us anymore before we had such where I go sometimes. But before we had such an intense process, uh, I was talking to him and I said, this is what you need to understand. Conquest and comfort cannot coexist. If you're going to step into what God's called you to do, you will have to step out of what's comfortable. You cannot be comfortable and do what God's called you to do. And so I said, you need to understand, if you're going to come to work here, you will never be comfortable. And I think if you ask our team, they will vouch for me on this. I, I haven't been, Julie and I really, we haven't been comfortable since we said yes to start this church. And I don't foresee any time in the future where we're going to be comfortable. Right? And the moment we think we're comfortable, something changes. God says, no, I want you to do this. God, no, I want you. Okay, here's the next step. Here's what we do now. We're just never comfortable because you can't be comfortable and, and you can't go on conquest. And God's called us to go into all the world. It's a conquest thing. You can't be comfortable. You can be comfortable, but then you can't go on the conquest. Or you can go on this conquest with God, but then you can't be comfortable. But you can't do both at the same time. Now, I didn't say you won't have peace, right? You can have peace even when you're uncomfortable but they don't work the same. I can't stay where I am and expect to get to where God wants me to go. See, here's the reality is when God speaks to Abraham, God speaks to us in these defining moments. God gives us an opportunity in, in the form of a promise. But listen very carefully. But with every promise, there's a process. 
And the promise doesn't just come because God said it, it comes through the process. So he gives us a promise, then we have to step into the process through which the promise comes. You see what I'm saying? And so if God gives us a promise, that's good, but the reason some people haven't stepped into the promise yet is because you never stepped into the process through which the promise comes. Most promises from God are optional in that they require something of us. They require steps. They require faith. And there is no progress for the person who doesn't embrace the process. You don't inherit a promise if you stay in Haran. Had Abraham stayed in Haran, Isaac would have never been born. God gave him a promise, and then Abraham stepped into a process through which the promise came. We are always co-laboring and partnering with God. Always. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing. Dividing moments compel. Defining moments compel. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is, you're like, oh, I wrote that down already. The fourth thing is um, defining moments impact. And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 3. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know this defining moment impacts Abraham. And he ends up, in fact, that's how his name gets changed, from Abram to Abraham. I mean, it's, it's a defining moment that changes him. And here's what you need to understand. We're all in a process. If you are breathing, God is not finished with you. If you're breathing, you're not quite there yet. If you're breathing, you still have purpose. If you're breathing, the scripture of he transforms us by his spirit from glory to glory is still, is still active for you. Does that make sense? So, so we're not there yet. I'm not there yet, right? I'm so thankful we stepped into this moment with God because I've been changed. My life has been changed at this church. I'm not the same person I was. You can ask an elder. I'm not the same person I was when we started this church. God has changed me. He has grown me. He has matured me. My, my faith um, is, is different now than it, than it was then. And so I love the fact that when we engage and we say yes with God and we step into the process, he transforms us from glory to glory. And I like that, that text because if you look at the verb, verb text, what it actually says is he transforms us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to infinity by the spirit of the Lord. In other words, God's never finished with us. He who begun a good work in us is gonna keep trying to work out and complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so defining moments impact us and they change us. We're not the same after we step into them. Abram became Abraham. But here's the second thing. Defining moments impact others. Defining moments impact others. Like on, on weekends like this and even weekends like last weekend when there's so many people and people receiving Christ and it was awesome. But I think about that decision Julie and I made to say yes and how many lives have been impacted by it. And we're just getting started. And I'm so glad we said yes. Like this morning as I see you, I'm so glad we said yes. Otherwise, we may not be friends. We may not know each other. But we said yes. And so here you are. Defining, you know, I've been thinking a lot recently about just the church and the beginning and when it got started and how it got started. I had someone ask me one time as a curiosity question. They said, how much, how, how much money did it take you to start Pathway? And, um, and I think their church was looking at maybe starting another church or campus and they were trying to put a budget together. And I said, you know what I found? Uh, it takes as much as you have. <laughs> like whatever you have, that's just what it takes. Like I don't know if there's a magic number. I said, for us, we had $7,000. That's, that's what this church was started with. And I said, I can tell you how we got it. Um, Granny and Pop, Granny and Pop were my grandparents. Uh, Pop was a pastor for years and years and years. Um, and I use a lot of his sayings and times. I, if I talk, usually if I say something about my grandpa and quote him, that was Pop. And so Pop had passed away and then Granny passed away. And at the time my parents were here, uh, they helped to start the church. Now they pastor a church in uh, a different city. But, um, but, um, Papa passed away and then Granny passed away and there was a little bit of an inheritance that was split between my mom and my aunt and my mom out of that gave $7,000 to Pathway and that's how we were started. That's what we used to start. And then out of that, we pulled some people together at an interest meeting, which was so crazy because Julian at the time lived in this neighborhood called Mill Run. There was this little uh, community center there and it was just kind of small, but it's nice. And we said, we're going to have an interest meeting. And so Julie kept the kids at our house. And then uh, I went down to where the, um, the, the clubhouse was and we had invited just a handful of people that weren't in churches, that didn't have a church affiliation, just through different conversations and things that had happened. And so we had a handful of people meet and and you just had to understand we had nothing. And so we had a, like I had a music stand and a guitar, not a good one. Um, and this would be a good point, a time to point out I'm not a guitarist, but I had a guitar 
And, and, and then I was going to lead worship. Might be a good time to point out I'm not a vocalist. Um, and so, and then Mark was there. Now he is a percussionist. He is good at that, but he had these, uh, bongos and a medicine shaker. And so I live worship behind my music stand with this guitar. Julie's teaching the kids down at our house. We've got a handful of people. I'm leading the guitar. And I said, Hey, wasn't this so great? Wouldn't y'all love to help us start a church? And those fruitcakes said, yes. Like, what are they drinking? You know what I'm saying? Like, and so they said, sure. And it was people like Bill and Laura Shirley and Paul and Jessica Wilson and Paul and Kim Little and um, so many people that, that are still here. And then after that, not too long after that, Larry and Linda Willis joined us and the Fowlers. I mean, there's just, just these people like, sure, we'd love to. we love to do this. And I, I remember, I'll show you the picture later in the series, but I remember... Uh, the night before we started in the Ramada, like we're finally going to have our first real Sunday service. And I remember this little group of 18 people. That was the launch team. You know, Mark and Elena and my parents, Julie and I, and um, we're all kind of gathered there with the Fowlers and the Shirleys and the Wills. You know, we're just, here we are. Like this moment, all of us had believed that if we just move forward with God, God would use us to reach other people. And I remember just, and I got a picture. We're just praying. Like, and at that point, we're just praying, dear God, let somebody come. You know, it was like one of those, like, dear Jesus, just send somebody. And I never get that first Sunday morning walking down the hall at that hotel. And uh, Glenn Fowler was coming this way. And, and he and Edna, they're my kids. They're, they're a couple years older than me, but I claim them as my kids. And, and he's walking and tears run out of his face. He said, pastor, they came. They came. And that Sunday they did, 149 people came that first weekend. Now, that sounds exciting. The next weekend it was 70. I preached half of them out of the room. But, um, but, but from that, that's how this church, this church is born because we believe in defining moments. It changes us, but it changes others. And when I think about what we have ahead of us, like I am so, I am so excited about you and your stories and I'm excited that you're here and you're a part of this. And some of you are not well and some of you are not so well. And some of you, I, I hear testimonies or you've emailed them in and I know what God has been doing in your life. And I think, wow. And, but then here's what I think. How many more stories? Right? Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. How many more stories are there out there? And could God now, the same way he used that 18 to turn into, you know, 100 or so, and the same way he used the 200 people at, at the Ramada to turn into like the 13 or 1400 now, could he now take this 13 or 1400 and turn it into 5,000? And how many more stories do we get to hear, like yours, like mine, that God has changed me and God has used me, that through me, God has changed other people. More people have come to know Christ, more people are stepping into their purpose. Where people are stepping into their calling. That's, that's, what, that's what gets me up in the morning. And that's what I want us to do is take a step and just see what can God do through us in this moment? I think it's going to shock us. I think it's going to be an adventure. I think it's going to be fun. Maybe some bumps along the way, but I think in the end, we're going to be so glad we move forward with God. Amen. Are you ready to do that? Yeah, come on. Can you give him a hand clap? God is good. Why don't you stand with me?